Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. We're going to get into the Word this morning. Again, I just want to give a shout out to all those watching online and and particularly those who are watching from other states and other countries as well. Um, Even those who are going to maybe go back and listen to these messages at a later date. We're so glad that you're here and that you are gathered around the word with us. Um, If you are watching online, I know CJ mentioned about our leadership conversation after service. Maybe you're not able to make it today, but you are one of our leaders. We love you too, and uh, we want you to be caught up with us. So you can send a message online if you're watching right now to Pastor CJ, um, or just email him at cj at wordofgracechurch.com, and we want to get a recording of that conversation into your hands as well. All right, so we're diving back into the Word, and if you're here today and you've been following along with us the last few weeks or a little over a month, um, we've been looking at conversations that people are having with Jesus in the, minute, uh, in the middle of his ministry time here on earth. He had some incredible moments with normal people like us. And many patterns have emerged as we've looked at the way Jesus interacts with just normal individuals. We're going to see a little bit of those things continue today as we get back into the word. But how many of you guys have just been enjoying uh, refreshing our minds just looking at Jesus again? You know, sometimes we, we talk about other things in church. We talk about how um, the church went and did something, or we look at the Old Testament and what's going on, but it's just so refreshing to fix our eyes on Jesus again. Amen? So Easter is right around the corner. So if you're one of the people who didn't say amen to that and you're tired of looking at Jesus, it's only going to get worse, because uh, that's what we do at Easter time. So get ready. Um, But we're going to open the word together this morning. Let's dive in in just a minute here. We're going to look at another story of a person that Jesus interacts with who maybe is other. And uh, what I mean by that is in Jesus's time, just like in our time, there was a whole lot of us versus them going around. And, you know, Jesus lived in a particularly divided time between people. And we live in a pretty divided time between people as well. Dr. William Pannell from uh, Fuller Theological Seminary said that the ugliest four-letter word in the English language is them. Them. Because of its potential to divide and separate people. And the man that we want to consider today was definitely not part of the us crowd in Jesus' day. He was one of them, Uh, and virtually everybody that we read about in the New Testament would have disqualified him, you know, frankly, because he made some choices that were a bit shady. He did some things that were self-centered. He was a scandalous individual. So would you turn with me to Luke chapter 19? We're going to look at the perhaps self-inflicted social and religious outcast named Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. It'll be up on the screen for you if you're following along. We're going to read verse 1 through 10. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho, and he made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the big crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. 
But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful that we can open your word and see your love in motion. We're so thankful that we can fix our eyes on you because you are the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray, Lord, that even as we just look at this very short story this morning, Lord, that certain things would jump off the page, that you would illuminate our hearts the way you always do. We want to give you all the glory, and we welcome you to be here this morning, right here with us as we study your word. Come and change some things. Come and reveal things to us. Bring your revelation, Lord. That's what we seek, and we'll give you all the glory together as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Zacchaeus is a character that we encounter, or more accurately, Jesus encounters him. He was a bit of a sketchy person, right? He was a swindler. And I don't think for a second that Zacchaeus was confused about that. He knew where he stood. You know, that there was kind of no going back from some of his choices. Anybody ever been there before where you like, you have to deal with some of your own choices and where it's led you and you're like, I I can't change the past. I think Zacchaeus was very well aware that what he had done to people was not cool. He was loathed by the people around him in Jericho. You know, as somebody who worked on behalf of their enemy, the Roman Empire, collecting the taxes to Caesar, he knew that if this Messiah who was coming to town, if he was the real deal, if Jesus was who he claimed to be, that, you know, Zacchaeus is thinking, I probably would not be on the list of people that Messiah would want to see. In fact, I would probably be on the list of people that Messiah would be very harsh with. Because, by definition, the Messiah they were waiting for was going to liberate them in some way from his bosses that he worked for. He knew where he stood. But what I love about Zacchaeus in this story as we look at him is even though he knew where he stood, even though he was aware of his own shortcomings, his faults, the things that he had done wrong, he was still so intentional about wanting to see Jesus. You know, there was an intention about him. Something was drawing him to Jesus. We're told that He couldn't see over the crowd, so he ran ahead of the crowd. He realized that, I don't want to miss this moment. i got to see this guy. i got to at least get a glimpse of him. I don't know why, but I have to. Now, here's the thing. If you've you've never heard this before, Jewish men in Jesus' day don't run anywhere. For a Jewish man to pull up his robes, bare his white legs, and run around, that was not something that was cool. It was considered unbecoming, shameful. But Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd. There was an urgency. There was an intention. He had to see Jesus. You know, in so many of these stories we've been exploring in our contact series, this theme continues in almost every single one of them. People who had to get to Jesus, who had to see Jesus, people who wouldn't be denied you know, we could talk about countless more examples of this in the Gospels. The, the woman who reached out to grab Jesus' garment in the midst of the crowd. The centurion who commits treason to call Jesus Lord and beg for his help. The blind man shouting despite the people hushing him and saying, shh, stop it. 
They're all over the place in the Gospels. People who were urgent, intentional, they had to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus continues this. You see, we know from Scripture that God is always searching us out, right? Amen? Are you there this morning? All right, good. We know that God is always searching us out. He's always chasing us down with his love. But there's something so powerful when we begin to seek him with our everything. There's something so powerful when we say, you know what? I'm going to you know, run to see Jesus. doesn't matter if it's unbecoming or not. I'm going to go looking for God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. This is the Lord speaking. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's a guarantee from the Lord. When you, in all of your being, with every ounce of your soul and your strength and your might, when you seek him, you will find him. You will find him. And that's a posture that we can take. It's a posture of the heart. It's an act of our will, like Zacchaeus, to recognize that there is something about Jesus that I need. There's something only he can do that I need to have happen in my life. So I need to go and I need to search him out with everything I've got. And I love what Jesus does with Zacchaeus in this moment. He does, quite frankly, what was unthinkable in the culture. Yet again, Jesus is constantly pushing buttons of how it should be done, right? This is a scandalous moment that we're reading about here. Verse 7, in the Greek, they're grumbling is, is what it translates to. People were not happy about what Jesus was doing, going to this notorious sinner's home for a meal. Grumbling. It's such a great word. This word in the Greek, if you go back into the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, it's the same exact root in Greek that is often used to describe when Israel didn't like something God chose to do in his grace. You know, we read about that when God sends manna, right? Because they were just, they were sick of the way that God had chosen to miraculously provide for them in the desert, and they began to grumble against God. Grumbling. The reality is in Jesus' day, they had their, you know, parties. They had their groups of people, several different types, like, kind of like political parties. And, you know, they didn't all get along. Go figure, right? Nothing's changed much in our day. They had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, the Essenes, these different groups of people. And each one of them had various degrees of hatred for Rome, who was the oppressive people over Jesus' people. They had various degrees of hatred with Rome, and they had various degrees of compromise with Rome. You know, compromises that they made to just continue getting by in life. But the one group of people that they all universally despised were the tax collectors. Again, go figure, kind of like our day, right? They despised the tax collectors, and Zacchaeus was no ordinary tax collector. We're told that he was the chief of all the tax collectors in Jericho. He was the arch enemy of any good Hebrew man. So he was absolutely cut off, cast out. He was other. He was not welcome. He was not liked. He was hated. He was loathed. You know, he may have been rich like Luke tells us, but it's kind of like the Beatles saying, money can't buy me love, right? This guy didn't have a friend in the whole town. And against this backdrop comes Jesus. Against this backdrop, we see the incredible love of God in Christ Jesus. And they couldn't take it. They couldn't take it. They were grumbling, right? Jesus' kindness, his love, were going too far for the people. How many of you guys know that the grace of God, his love and his mercy for us is not fair? It's not fair. 
And we need to be thankful that God's love is not fair because I don't deserve it. Amen? God's grace is not fair, but they could not handle the fact that our God lavishes his love on absolutely anybody who will seek him with all of their heart. But none of us deserve it. And Jesus, though, in this incredible little story, he wants to show us something so much deeper about his love, something so great about his love. More on that in a minute. But just to kind of sum up, one commentary says it like this, this action of Jesus and the announcement of his mission, it totally goes against any of the political expectations of the people. And that's putting it mildly for what Jesus was doing here. This moment was no accident. See, Zacchaeus had an urgency about him. He, he had an intentionality to see Jesus, but as urgent as he may have been, Jesus was far more urgent than him for this moment. Jesus was far more intentional than him, that this would be the way this goes down. Kind of like a couple weeks ago, we looked at the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus encounters. You know, he had to go through Samaria, we're told, by John. And Luke tells us in this time, not only does he call Zacchaeus by name in this moment, but he says to him, I must stay at your house. See, Jesus knew that this was a divine appointment. This was meant to happen. Does that sound like an accident to you? I must stay at your house. Sounds to me like Jesus was finding these outcasts by choice. It sounds to me like these political, religious, moral, social outsiders that Jesus kept encountering, like he wanted to interact with them for a very special purpose. Because he wants to reveal something about who he is, the Messiah that he is, the love that he shares for each and every person, no matter how big of an other they are. I'm going to borrow today from the, the brilliant work of Dr. Scott McKnight. Um, I'm a reader. Anybody else a reader out there? Love to read books? Yeah, like four of us. Yeah, we don't read anymore as a culture. We read headlines, right? We read clickbait things, right? We don't like to read books, but I, re I love to read books. If, if you're looking for a book to read, I've got suggestions. We have a whole section on the website called The Pastor's Bookshelf. And I realize that it's probably a doomed effort from the beginning in our world. But, but if, if you're a reader, I would love to connect with you. Yeah, there's a terrific book about life together in the church that Dr. Scott McKnight writes, and it's called A Fellowship of Difference. And he shares in his book four elements of the kind of love that God has for all of us. And I think it's, it's important to look at them, because that kind of love that God has for us, not only does it change our lives, but it's the kind of love that we share with one another as well. Amen? You know, we see them all on display in this little encounter with Zacchaeus. And I just want to share with you what those four things are. First and foremost, he says the love of God is a rugged commitment. It's a rugged commitment. It's not a feeling. It's not a warm, fuzzy ordeal. It is a rugged commitment. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, God's love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, that's not a, a flimsy commitment. That's a rugged commitment. There is nothing that can throw God off. There is nothing that can shake the love of God. Uh, after writing this, I realized I put down, it's like super glue, and then I accidentally super glued my fingers together the other day, trying to fix one of Ethan's toys. You know, what happens when you super glue, like you get super glue on your hand? You just get used to it. Or you can, you know, try a bunch of different ways and rub your hand raw trying to get it off. But that's kind of like the love of God. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm not going anywhere. You're stuck with me. It's a rugged commitment that Jesus makes to us. Jesus shows us in this story. He isn't concerned with the grumbling of the people. 
He isn't concerned with what others think. He isn't even concerned for his own reputation in this moment because his reputation is taking a beating right here. In fact, Jesus is always allowing his reputation to get dragged through the mud so that he can connect with people everywhere you look in the gospel. One of the favorite titles that is given to Jesus in his time on earth uh, by some of those far more holy party people was friend of sinners. Friend of sinners. They called him a friend of sinners, and they meant to insult him, but he was like, bingo, you're getting it now. You're understanding. They meant to insult him. He took it as a compliment to be a friend of sinners. He's like, that's the whole reason I'm coming to earth. God is unshakable in his love. He is ruggedly committed to you and I, no matter what. No matter what we could do, forever, his love is a rugged commitment. And it goes on. It's a rugged commitment to be with us, with us. And it's all about presence. When you look at somebody being with you, their presence matters. You know, maybe in this time, you've had to pull away from being with people physically. And that's been hard on a lot of us, right? That's been terrible to not be able to be with people physically. God wants to be with us. This was a scandalous moment with Zacchaeus. But Jesus was ruggedly committed to him and present with him. He didn't just say, oh, I love you, Zacchaeus. He went to his house. He was with Zacchaeus. He was committed to it because that's who Jesus is. As much as Zacchaeus wasn't confused about whether or not he was worthy, he knew he was unworthy. Jesus wasn't confused as to what he was doing in the moment. Verse 10 tells us this. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to be with us. Our God is a with kind of God. Amen? I want to just spell this out for a minute from Scripture. If you want to follow this through with me, from beginning to end, our God is a with kind of God. John tells us that Jesus was with God in the beginning, before the creation of the world. In the garden, God continually walked with Adam and Eve, present with them consistently. When God chose Abraham and set apart Abraham's family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, later he says the same to Moses and David, he makes a continual covenant promise, I will be with you. When he says in Isaiah 50, uh, 43 over his people, he speaks to them and says, when you go through the fire, when you go through the flood, I will be with you. Do not fear. Jesus arrives and is given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. As Jesus ascends to heaven after his resurrection, the final line of Matthew's gospel says, Surely I am with you always. He sends the Holy Spirit to literally be his presence with us at all times. And finally, at the end of the story in Revelation 21, Jesus descends and says, The eternal dwelling of God is with his people again. Our God is a with God. He's ruggedly committed to being present with you in each and every circumstance and every moment. He wants to be right there by your side, in your corner at all times. From the beginning to the end, our God never changes, and he is all about being God with us. Amen? But he's not just there. He's not just a, a silent presence that blends into the background of our lives. Maybe you know somebody. You ever known somebody who was technically present in a conversation, but they weren't really there? <laughs> You know, maybe, maybe they were there, but you almost forgot they were there because they sort of became like the wallpaper of the conversation. They didn't say anything. It's like, dude, come on, what, what are you doing? Anybody know anybody like that who, they don't say a thing. You know, that's not how God is in our lives, okay? He's not just with us. 
you know, God's being with us is already amazing enough, but just to make things ridiculous, God wants to be with us, and he wants to be for us. God's love is a rugged commitment to be with us and to be for us. If God being with us is all about presence, God being for us is all about advocacy. Advocacy. He is active on your behalf in every moment. He is advocating for you. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you had to have somebody step in and advocate for you. Has anybody been there where maybe you didn't have a leg to stand on or whatever was going on? Like, There's nothing like when you're out of luck and you need somebody to do something for you you can't do for yourself. Or maybe you're just out of excuses. And you're like, yeah, uh, I, I don't know what to say. I just screwed up. And then somebody comes along and chooses to testify on your behalf anyway. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus does for us every single moment. Paul tells us that Jesus continually makes intercession for you and I before the Father. That's where he is right now. Jesus himself advocating for you and I with the Father. So no matter how much we maybe have screwed up in our lives, and I know I've screwed up a ton, he wants to plead our case anyway. That's our God. And no matter how little we deserve to be part of his family, he wants to give us a glowing recommendation for a job way above our pay grade in becoming the family of God. And as Paul continues in Romans chapter 8, he says this, if God be for us, who can be against us? If our God is for us, what does it matter what anybody else thinks? If God is in my corner, I can carry on in the way he's called me to, regardless of what it means for my future, because he's with us. And not a single thing that anybody can do against me is going to matter, because not even the powers of hell can overcome Christ in us. Amen? Zacchaeus, in this moment, called by name, I have to come to your house. He must have been beside himself when Jesus not only wanted to be with him, but also was willing to be for him in front of everybody, despite the huge dent in Jesus' street cred in this moment. Zacchaeus, can you imagine what it must have felt like to him? He must have felt like a million bucks. It doesn't matter. Who cares what any of them think anymore? I'm having dinner with the king. Right? There's nothing greater that you and I can understand from the word of God than simply this. God is for you. He is for you. He's on your side. He wants to champion you and who you are. He loves you that much. God is a God who is ruggedly committed to be with you and to be for you. Finally, God's love is a commitment not just to be with us, not just to be for us. It is a commitment unto. That's the word that Scott McKnight uses. Because what he means is simply this. The love of God, his incredible love for us, doesn't ever leave us the same. It transforms us. The end of the story with Zacchaeus shows this best. Verse 8, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said this, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated anyone on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. The scheming, conniving chief tax collector becomes a generous follower of Jesus in this moment. You know, if you want to get into the technicalities, into the amounts and percentages here, what Zacchaeus was offering to pay back goes far beyond the recommendations of the law. 
that he was under. He went over and above to make sure that he wasn't just making things right. He was going and becoming a generous person where he had been completely self-centered before. There is a complete heart change is what Luke is capturing for us in this moment. Commentator Craig Keener says this, that Zacchaeus makes restitution in response to grace rather than to receive grace. He does it in response to the grace he was shown. That is so fitting of Jesus' ministry, but it differs from the common view of Jesus' day and in practice probably from that of our own day as well. What is he saying? He's saying, we tend to think of things like there's some change that I can produce in myself. There's something that I can do to just be better so that God will accept me and love me and show me grace. I've got to have it all figured out and then God will want to be on my side again. That's not the way that Jesus shows us things can happen for us. You know, sometimes we want to become worthy of God's grace, but Zacchaeus shows us that that is as far from the ways of Jesus as it could be. See, Zacchaeus in his natural life, in his attempts to do things, he was sprinting the opposite way of being a good person, right? He had no intention of changing. He was raking it in until he came into contact with the rugged commitment of Jesus to be with him and for him no matter how self-centered he was. And that is the same love that Jesus has for you and me. Jesus has the exact same desire to be with and for us as he does with Zacchaeus in this moment. Because none of us are good enough on our own to deserve a single thing from God. But in Christ, and in this moment, we see the fullness of the love of God in Christ. When you really consider what Jesus has done, if you really consider in your life what Jesus wants to do, the staggering idea of all that Jesus gave up to even come here to earth, let alone die for our sin. When you really consider, when you actually slow down for a minute and think about it, there is no way you can stay unmoved by that. There is no way that you can stay unchanged by that idea. In Romans chapter 2, Paul is talking with the Roman church about God's patience with us. While we tend to judge people impatiently for all their problems, God is so patient with us. And in Romans 2.4 in the NIV, it says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to leave you or lead you to repentance? Catch this. What is Paul saying? He's saying, despite the way that they were grumbling, despite the way that Zacchaeus could basically never be forgiven for what he had done, It is God's enduring kindness that leads us to repentance and change in our lives. It's not a list of behavior modification practices. It's not a list of rules that produce in us a desire to just be better people, that produce change in us or transformation in any way. It's not a new leaf we turn over like, hey, it's a new year, I'm going to be a new me. That's not the way it works with God. It's his rugged unshakable, unchanging nature. It's his desire to be God with us and God for us that causes our lives to be radically changed. And that is the only thing that will ever produce change in us. I don't know if you know this, but people pretty much tend to stay the same. In psychology, they talk about it like this. They say, until the pain of change becomes less than the pain of staying the same, people will never change. That's kind of true, isn't it? But with Jesus, he intercepts our every moment. And he wants to love us towards something. He wants to love us unto the people of God that he has in mind. 
The Bible is full of instruction. It's full of commands. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he says that all of these laws, all the words of the prophets, they hang on just two things. If you do these two things, everything else will fall into place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because the transformative love that Jesus showed for us as he showed us how to do this is what changes our lives. It's what changed Zacchaeus' life. In this moment, it wasn't Jesus coming to him and saying, Zacchaeus, fall in line. Get your life together. Give all that money back. No, no, no. He loved on him. He sought him out, chose to be with him, chose to be for him. And then that love transformed this man's life. Jesus' love is a life-changing love that seeks us out even when we are the furthest thing from lovable. I don't know if you've ever felt like that before. You're like, I don't even love myself right now. How could anybody else love me? I'll tell you what, Jesus is very near to you in those moments. He's seeking you out. Even before you choose to seek him out, he is going 100% of the way to be close to you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be for you. And you might be here today, or you might be watching online today, and you know exactly how rough maybe you can be to people. You might have a perfectly clear estimation of how rough you've been to a neighbor or a family member, how unlovable you maybe have been in your own past. You know all the places where you feel unlovable, where you maybe have been hurt, and because of that, you've hurt others. You might want to just simply be keeping everybody at arm's length. Jesus is still in the business of seeking you out. Jesus is still wanting to come near to you. He is still ruggedly committed to being with you in that exact spot where you are, to being for you for all time. This verse in Romans, there's two words that talk about God's goodness for us in the Greek. There's krestotes and makrothumia. I'm not going to have you repeat them. I'm kind of sadistic about that as a pastor, but I'm not going to do it today. Both of these words in Greek, they include this, this element of uh, patience and endurance They speak to us of the ruggedness of God's kindness and love and patience for us. One of the definitions of one of these words includes the ability to act for the welfare of those who tax your patience. I like that. And I like that in the context of Zacchaeus because literally Zacchaeus taxed everyone and taxed their patience. How many of you guys have somebody in your life who taxes your patience? Don't look at your spouse. That's messed up. Okay? Don't look at your kids either. But how many of you guys would say, yeah, I've got somebody in my life who taxes my patience. All right, so everybody else is holy. I'm going to talk to you guys who raised your hands now. Maybe uh, you have a friend or a family member who they just push your buttons. I mean, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that people push each other's buttons pretty hard, right? Let's be honest. Sometimes we want to love them with a bit of tough love. Sometimes with my brother, I want to love him with my fist. You can love with a fist, right? But God knows. He knows how he made us, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? He knows that we're just dust. God shows us in Christ a different way to love one another as well. Because the way that we have received this perfect love, it teaches us to love others like this as well. A rugged commitment to be with, to be for, and unto what God has for us. What an amazing love we've been shown. We're called now and adopted into this family We're called to show this same love, this same forgiveness, this same adoption to others. We're called to be with one another, 
to be present in each other's lives, the I'm not going anywhere kind of love for one another. That kind of love that says, yeah, you, you can offend me if you like, but I'm still ruggedly committed to you, and I'm going to be with you no matter what. You know, in a time when it's harder than ever before for us to simply be together, we need some of that Zacchaeus kind of love, right? That, that urgency that God showed to him. In Hebrews, we're told, don't give up meeting together. Don't give up being with one another. What does it look like for you today to be with people? I know that there's restrictions that we have that we contend with. I know that there's difficulties with COVID, all that. But what are the ways that you can be with the people that God has called you to be with? What are the ways that you can be with the family of God? I want that to challenge you today. What are the ways that you can really be present with people? You know, long before COVID happened, we stopped being truly present with one another. And we need to remember that God chooses to be so present with us. We can choose to be present with one another, especially when we're going through a hard time, especially in moments like we've been in as a culture. We need to be with each other. And we need to be for each other as well. Amen? See, our world is still about looking out for number one. But if somebody else, if you have a Savior who is looking out for number one for you, who can you be looking out for? Because I promise you, all of my looking out for number one can't do a single thing compared to God looking out for me. But because he is looking out for me, who can I be looking out for? Who can I be in their corner, not just be with them, but advocating for them, championing them, loving on them in a way that says, I see those dreams in you and I am all about it. I'm going to cheer you on until it comes to pass. Who can you be with? Who can you be for? Who can you bless and ensure that God is doing amazing things in their lives. Regardless of their worthiness, who can you champion? Who can you promote? Who can you endorse? Jesus shows us what it looks like in Zacchaeus' story to be for somebody, even when nobody is for Zacchaeus. Or in the Good Samaritan, when the Samaritan says to the innkeeper at the end, if this man incurs any other expense, you put it on my tab. Man, God shows us over and over again the extreme lengths of his commitment to us, to be with us and for us. Who can we choose to bless unconditionally like Jesus has blessed us with no strings attached? And we're called to love each other unto God's intentions and purposes as well. We're called to stay ruggedly committed in this love until we all reach unity and maturity in Christ, says Paul in Ephesians. We need to cheer one another on as the Holy Spirit continually shapes our desires, our dreams, and our patterns, he makes each of us more like Jesus. That's what we want to see. You know, that's what it means for us to be a group of disciples of Jesus, is that we're excited not just about God being with us and for us, but the fact that he is continually transforming each of us to be more like Jesus. That's something to get excited about. But there's an important note to this kind of love that we've been shown and the kind of love that we need to show one another because there is an order to this love. There's an order to the way we go about this. And this is huge, as Scott McKnight says. Because many times in church communities, people unfortunately tend to come in and they experience others trying to get to that transformation stage before there's any commitment to be with them or for them. Maybe you've experienced that in church before. If that's been your experience with the people of God, I am profoundly sorry for what's happened. I'm sorry. That's been, unfortunately, part of 
us being a human group of people as the church, we get that wrong a lot, where we're trying to transform or reform people before we're ever committed to be with them and for them, but that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way that he was with Zacchaeus. That is not what Paul tells us in Romans. Paul tells us that there is an order to this. We are committed to be with you and for you no matter what. Whether ever there's any transformation or change in your life or whether you remain like Zacchaeus for the rest of your life, we are with you and we are for you. That's the kind of love that we're called to express for one another. Now, we are also convinced that the more and more you encounter Jesus, the more that you're going to transform just like Jesus is transforming me. But no matter what, our prayer is, God, come and transform and shape every one of us. Every single one of us. Somebody once said it like this. We become more like Jesus when we learn to hate sin in us more than we hate sin in others. And that'll preach for days, won't it? We need to recognize that our job is first and foremost to love every single person we come into contact with. And let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Amen? There's an order to this love. God does the work. And we just simply stay ruggedly committed to one another to be with each other and for each other. So I want to invite you to to stand with me today. We're going to receive Holy Communion in just a minute. So if you're watching online, you can run to the kitchen and grab some bread and some elements here uh, if you want to take communion with us. And if you're here, would you just stand with me? We're going to dive back into worship as well. But I love this little story. It just shows us how far God is willing to go for you and I. Jesus doesn't care if his reputation gets dragged through the mud. He doesn't care. He wants to go all the way because he's committed and he is unshakable in his love for us. So if you remember nothing else from today, just remember this. God is with you. God is for you. And God is unshakably committed to you in a way that will change your whole life. It'll bring you peace you can't imagine, joy unspeakable until you overflow with that love to everyone around you. But will you let him call you by name today and say, I want to be with you. I've got to come to your house. Will you let him be with you in that way? Will you seek him out? Will you run ahead to get a glimpse of that love? Reality is, as we celebrate communion, we celebrate that Jesus went to extreme lengths for you and I to show us that love. Jesus shows us the full depth of his passionate commitment to you and I by laying down his life so that we could once again enter into relationship with God forever. That's what we celebrate with Holy Communion. Paul says, as we come to the table of the Lord for communion, we need to examine our hearts. What does that mean? In other words, we need to be open with God about what's going on in our lives. We need to be open with him about the things that we're excited about and the things that we struggle with. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Call us out, if need be, on things that we're you know, holding on to that are not right. We need to be real about our lives with God in this moment. So as we get ready to take communion, I want to remind us of what the different elements speak to us of. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, after supper, he said to the disciples, he took bread and said to them, this is my body which is broken for you. When you meet together, share this in remembrance of me. The bread represents to us the willingness of Jesus. Though he was sinless and perfect, he was willing to be broken for us. So that every single one of us, though we're broken, we can be made whole in him. 
If you have an area of need in your life, if you have an area where you maybe feel broken, if you have an area where you need some help, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is willing. He's there with you. He's ready to meet you where that need is and to provide healing. The bread speaks to us of the healing power. It's by his stripes that we're healed. Amen? Would you receive the bread with me? supper we're told Jesus also took the cup telling them that this cup is the new covenant in my blood because under the old covenant ways without the shedding of blood there could be no forgiveness of sin but Jesus set up a new way where his blood his sacrifice once and for all on the cross for us is more than enough forever no matter what you may have done no matter what you will ever do nothing can separate you from the love of God because of Christ. His forgiveness, it's deeper than you can imagine. So as we receive the cup today, would you thank him for his forgiveness? And if there is something that maybe you need to say, Jesus, I know I've got some things in my life that I need to surrender to you. This could be a moment of confession, of repentance, and allowing the forgiveness of Christ to come into every area of your life. Would you receive the cup of me? We're going to worship in just a moment. But I want to pray over you. Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that everywhere we look in your word, we see your insane commitment to us. Not because we deserve it, but because of who you are. So Lord, we fix our eyes on you again. We remember just how far you go for us to show us your unstoppable love. We thank you that you are ruggedly committed to be with us for us and that you are changing us moment by moment, day by day to be more like you. We commit ourselves to being your disciples again. We commit ourselves to saying, God, teach us to love like this. And God, we pray that as we do that, you would meet us at every turn, that you would show us how transformational your love is, that you would give us open doors into the lives and the hearts of people around us who desperately need to be shown love. Maybe there's somebody in our lives today Maybe they even push our buttons or tax our patience. But God, we know they need to experience love. That they've been lonely in this time. That they're hurting in this time. That they've been cut off or separated. Maybe even because of COVID and all the things going on. Lord, would you drop into our hearts even now those who we can be loving as you loved us. And we pray that you would motivate us. Put a fire under us to go out and do this, Lord. We pray that you would transform us to be more like you in this way. And that by doing this, Lord, just as the Roman Empire was turned upside down by your people, would you turn upside down our cities, our streets, and our homes with your love once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.